Nizamulawinaka, listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific Ngo Okoroi Hawkins. Coming up. We have a petition for the eligibility of those voters, so that's uh, we're putting in place and lodging that one. Cook Islands United Party to lodge election petitions also. The uh, deportation order by the president is really in direct contravention to the decision by the court. A former Kiribati president condemns government interference in the judiciary and... They still are not going far enough. They're not calling for a pause or a moratorium, which is absolutely what's needed. Ocean conservationists are calling on the New Zealand government to review its stance on deep-sea mining. But before we get into all of that, a brief update from Vanuatu, where the opposition group will on Friday again try to oust Prime Minister Bob Lothman on the floor of Parliament. The chief executive of the Office of the President of Vanuatu says no decision has yet been made on whether or not to dissolve Parliament amid the ongoing political instability. Finau Funua has the latest. Yesterday, RNZ Pacific reported on information coming out of Port Vila that Prime Minister Bob Lofman's request to President Nikinike Vodoparavu for a dissolution of Parliament had been declined. However, Prime Minister Bob Lofman today told RNZ Pacific reporters he was unaware of this decision. State House Chief Executive Sam Kaipam confirmed the President is yet to respond to the Prime Minister's request and is closely monitoring the situation. And just to elaborate, what this means is that a dissolution of Parliament is still very much on the cards ahead of Friday's no-confidence vote. And if that were triggered, we would see a snap election, which has happened before in Vanuatu in 2016. But this was after 14 government MPs were convicted of corruption-related charges and jailed. Again, this is a developing story, and RNZ Pacific will be reporting the latest news as it comes in from the capital, Port Vila, via our news bulletins and online at rnzi.com. The Cook Islands United Party is scheduled to launch two petitions following the release of election results on August the 11th. The Cook Islands Chief Electoral Officer, Tagi Tangimitua, has confirmed the ruling Cook Islands Party secured 12 seats, the Democrats 5 seats, the Cook Islands United Party 3 seats and one Cook Islands 1 seat. Three independent candidates have also won seats. Now, two of the independents have joined the Cook Islands Party to form a coalition government led by the returned Prime Minister, Mark Brown. The Cook Islands United Party leader, Tiariki Heather, told Lydia Lewis his party plans to lodge two petitions challenging the results in Titikabeka and Ngatangia electorates to court on Wednesday local time, which is Thursday here in New Zealand. Well, at the present time, it's uh, three seats. We're still waiting for the, uh, uh, we have a petition on two seats, that's in Titicavaka and Atangia. So still waiting for the outcome. And, uh, yes, uh, there was one draw, and uh, we won one uh, by three, but now it's three, especially for the seat for Marguerite uh, Matenga. Uh, we have a petition uh, for the eligibility of those voters, so that's uh, we're putting in place and lodging that one. Have you lodged the petition? When are you expecting to lodge it? Uh, I think Wednesday this week is a time given uh, to launch it and wait for the outcome of uh, when that uh, decision by the the courts uh, for the hearing. Can you explain um, a little bit more about the petition and what what Uh, you're lodging? Yeah, the the, the eligibility is uh, one, is the 
because under our law constitution, there is three months eligibility uh, residing in that particular uh, electorate uh, for three months. Uh, so we're challenging uh, most of the voters uh, that's not eligible to vote, and uh, we have challenged that uh, through the scrutiny at the polling booth, but uh, it was ignored, and some of the voters uh, from our side has been taken out. And yet, uh, you know, they are on the uh, supplementary roles as well. So it's that the eligibility of qualifications to vote, and uh, also some of the uh, the votes by dec decoration, because uh, there's a huge number at uh, this election with the votes by decoration voting on that particular day, and yet they had ample time you know, to register prior to the six weeks uh, election. And hence, uh, that's one of our petitions, is the uh, qualifications of these people, uh, whether they have resided in that particular electorate or in this electorate, so otherwise uh, registered, uh, maybe illegal, uh, not uh, on the, the, you know, both the main role and the supplementary role. So it's the eligibility, that, that's what we're challenging uh, at the, the council. And once that petition is lodged, what is the process from there? Well, the process is simple. Uh, through the, the court uh, will uh, either approve uh, you know, for the challenge, for the petition there will lodge, or otherwise it's uh, back to square one again. So that's the reason why we have this is an opportunity for, for us to, to lodge that uh, petition now. Otherwise, uh, you know, it's something that we'll be mumbling, grumbling, not actually facing uh, what the real truth or the outcome uh, through our petition. I'm hoping, uh, or we are hoping the outcome will be sort of in our favor. As I mentioned, that's the petition we're challenging the eligibility of these uh, voters, which uh, well, we believe they shouldn't have voted on the day, but their vote has been counted. And also those ones uh, that actually are legal to vote has been sort of taken out uh, from that uh, voting day. So it's really uh, we're questioning the legality of uh, the voting on the day. Where are these voters situated? How many of them, and what what change? How you know how much of an influence or change would this have on the election results? Well, it's huge uh, for the outcome. Uh, might be sort of minimal for us, but uh, certainly one uh, adds uh, to the win winning candidate anyway. So uh, it's around about fourteen or seventeen uh, that uh, we feel. Uh, that should be in our accounts, and both for the Ngatangia uh, and also for the Titikaweka constituency. And finally, what is your reaction to the result of the cannabis referendum? Well, the result, as I've raised you know, in our small meeting, uh, it confused everybody. And uh, this is the reason, again, as I said, you know, the questions questionnaire didn't really come out in public uh, for, for the people to understand. And this was sort of like. On election day, and even for myself, uh, for anybody that doesn't understand English, uh, it will confuse them because it's either yes or no. Uh, but on, on the election day, in the referendum, it states, uh, do you agree to review the cannabis law in this country? Which people said, you know, no to that. And which means, you know, uh, that's why the result, the outcome is, is that it's confused 
and not relating to the or interpreting in our local language for the elderly people to understand hence the high increase of those. I think it was deliberated by government to actually put that forth and for the outcome is you know, the percentage is, is higher than uh, not accepting that cannabis to be sort of passed through parliament again. You know, it's not, uh, uh, would I sort of explain, a clean uh, information or the information wasn't sort of put out to the people Actually, then each political party will have the opportunity uh, to interpret that to all our voters. But everybody was shocked and surprised. The question is, because it should have been made simple to understand. Do we agree cannabis in this country? Yes or no? A former Kiribati president, Anote Tong, says the saga involving the Kiribati government and the Australian-born judge, David Lamborn, has left the country with a dysfunctional judiciary. The government of Kiribati detained and attempted to forcefully deport Mr Lamborn last Thursday, but on Friday the nation's appeals court ordered for Mr Lamborn to be released and has stopped the government from deporting him pending a further hearing this week. Former leader Mr Tong says while the issue has political connotations, he warns the actions of the government border on contempt of court. He spoke to RNZ Pacific regional correspondent Kelvin Anthony. We don't have a judiciary which functions at the moment. And the uh, deportation order by the president is really in direct contravention to the decision by the court, which had upheld Mr. Lamborn's appeal to the high court. So whether the, the government is now in contempt of court is a question that really needs to be addressed. Kiribati's government is saying that uh, this is, uh, you know, uh, the actions of neocolonial forces who are weaponizing the law enacted to protect Kiribati citizens. What is your reaction to that? I think basically what is happening is, you know, we have a constitution, we have the law, in place and we have a court. And the question is, are we adhering to these legal provisions, the constitution? The separation of powers is, of course, one of the fundamental principles of uh, a democratic society and uh, system of government. And uh, now it looks like government is crossing that boundary and delving into the, the purview of the uh, of the judiciary. And uh, so that is the question. I think going back to uh, if we have a problem with the colonial rule, okay, let's let's amend it. But until we do that, I, I'm afraid we have to abide by the laws in place at the moment. Of course, I think one one issue that would come up, and I think it, it would be logical to, to say suggested is that much of what's going on as uh, as a basic political connotation with Mr. Lamborn's wife being the leader of the opposition. Previously, there was no problem. And uh, after the election in 2020, Mr. Lamborn's appointment began to be a problem. Now, the Australian government uh, has said that, uh, that the matter is, is for the Kiribati government to resolve. Uh, but uh, do you think uh, that uh, perhaps the Australian uh, government could be more firm or would they essentially, you know, feed into the historic that, you know, uh, it's, it's the neocolonialism? <laughs> you know, I, I think uh, the, I, I, I see the Australian government's role as simply taking an interest in its uh, citizens. What the government is doing is really a sovereign issue. And really the question is, uh, are, we, are we abiding by the laws that we have actually passed or are we not? And I think that is obviously an internal question. We would, of course, be subject to judgment from outside to ascertain whether we are still acting as a, a fully democratic government or is that, is that being compromised? That if this is the question that we will have to be judged on because we don't want to pretend to have a, 
to be adhering to a, a democratic system, but at the same time, selectively pick the, the, the parts that we don't want to apply. I think uh, to be in direct conflict with the decision of the court uh, here, I think we know what that means. And so I think we need to address this. We need to sit down. And I think the government needs to sit down with Mr. Lamborn because I understand, I believe what happened was it wasn't intentional to appoint Mr. Lamborn for life as, as a judge. I believe it was a mistake, an administrative mistake, past the um, contract with the president for signature, which did not have a commencement date and an expiry date. Now they're trying to rectify that by really overruling the uh, court decision. You know, with anything in the region and particularly recently with uh, issues around the geopolitical tensions with, you know, with the US, China and with uh, Kiribati, uh, you know, withdrawing from the Pacific Islands Forum, there's a lot of uh, regional conversations happening that it is all part of, you know, Kiribati's descent into, you know, siding more with the Chinese and less democratic ways to, to work out its internal issues. Should we keep seeing it? from that lens or, or is there something more as you know regional experts or regional commentators would like to say you know it's political there is no question about it because it's just become an issue when the wife of Mr. Lambourne became uh, leader of the opposition okay oh, well the, again uh, should that be the determining factor I don't believe so does this give an excuse for government to ignore a court decision I don't believe so and so until we we amend our laws and constitution to recognize that uh, separation of powers is fundamental to our uh, democratic system of government, then it must apply. Uh, until we do that, everything else that's being done will become illegal. Uh, does the government want to be illegal, whether it's a sovereign issue or not? Because some, the question is, are they legal decisions or are they not? Ocean conservationists are calling on the New Zealand government to show regional leadership and support the growing call for a moratorium on deep-sea mining. The Deep Sea Conservation Coalition says their call comes as they understand the government is preparing to review its relatively neutral stance on the fledgling industry. It also comes as more countries at the International Seabed Authority are raising concerns about the fast-tracking of the development of regulations for deep-sea mining. Joining me are Duncan Curry and Phil McCabe from the Deep Sea Conservation Coalition. Duncan is an international legal advisor to the coalition and Phil is its Pacific liaison and longtime Oceans campaigner. Let's start with you, Phil. You've just recently attended your first International Seabed Authority meeting in Kingston, Jamaica. How was that experience? Sure. Kia ora, Koroi. Um, yeah, it was my first in-person experience at the International Seabed Authority and it was it was quite an eye-opener, just, just the way in which... You know, conversations were quite tightly controlled uh, by by the sort of leadership or management of the ISA. You know, certain things weren't able to be discussed openly on the floor that that needed to be discussed, and I just couldn't understand why. Uh, you know, given the situation and the importance of of this issue and and the pressure of the of the time frame that's been imposed on the world uh, to 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 rush to rush the opening up of the deep sea to, to deep sea mining. Um, you know, it's important that the world has, a, has an opportunity to, to discuss it openly. So, and, you know, so I'm taking it one of these things was was talking about that two year rule, was it? That was kind of not allowed to go deeper into that conversation? Yes. Do you want to jump in here with Chile's bit, Duncan? Or... Yeah, Karai, I mean, the... the... What I would say was that, I mean, there's obviously a great deal of discussion about the two-year rule, both on the floor and in private conversations, and there were some informal meetings as well. And 
I think it's fair to say that there's a great deal of, I think, uh, an awareness that it's extremely unlikely regulations will be adopted by July 2023. And that's good news because we've long said that regulations would give the green light to seabed mining. So it's reassuring that there's a growing awareness that the regulations are nowhere near ready to be adopted and they shouldn't be adopted. And there's also, I think, fair to say that there's a growing awareness that the um, what's called a plan of work or the contract for seabed mining uh, with the um, metals company subsidiary called Nori. Um, and there's a great deal of awareness that should not be granted. Um, a number of countries said very clearly that they didn't view that um, the contract should be automatically granted to Nori, so that was reassuring. Uh, and then Chile was taking a very active role that, that already before the meeting stated that there should be a 15-year delay on the um, uh, adopting regulations, but they went further than that and actually uh, put down a proposal to have an agenda item, which doesn't sound very radical, and it's not. Um, it's absolutely essential, um, an agenda item to discuss the GRL by the Assembly, but that was it was supported by New Zealand, I'm pleased to say, but the president used a lot of procedural tactics and others to make sure that it didn't happen. So what happened in the end was that the um, two-year rule was only discussed by states um, under a um, essentially any other business, which is rather ridiculous at, tail, at the tail end of the meeting. But what was really even more, I think, revealing was that they shut down um, NGO or observer statements by, with literally no, no warning and the nor was any need whatsoever. In fact, the meeting finished a day and a half early, yet rather than give the NGOs the opportunity to speak to the most critical item on the agenda for the week, um, they immediately they said that, well, we're going to limit the interventions to three minutes starting now ago. <laughs> you know, a, a, a gross breach of natural justice, but also a very revealing statement that they just did, wanted, as Phil said, to do anything to ensure that there was not an open discussion of these critical issues of the two-year rule and whether seabed mining should be given the green light um, in the, July of next year. So it shows that a lot of that the seabed miners, frankly, are running scared. And there's also some news um, from the New Zealand front. Did you want to talk to that, Phil? Yeah, well, I think you know, New Zealand uh, was saying good things at this most recent ISA meeting, and they have said good things in the past couple of meetings as well but they still are not going far enough. They're not calling for a pause or a moratorium, which is absolutely what's needed. And, you know, this this meeting, it was interesting, Federated States of Micronesia expressed their position of a moratorium at the ISA meeting, which was the first time that was raised on the floor. Later in the, later in the meetings, Chile and Costa Rica both expressed uh, a call for a precautionary pause, which is effectively the same thing. And that, that was supported by Ecuador. But um, yeah, so New Zealand, they were saying good things, but not going far enough. What we understand from uh, discussions with Minister Mahuta um, is that New Zealand will be reviewing their position after this most recent meeting. Uh, and we hope that happens very soon, um, certainly before the October-November meeting, um, so that New Zealand can come out and hopefully support the the uh, Pacific states calling for a moratorium. And, you know, it's it's absolutely what is needed. You know, most recently in New Zealand, um, Debbie Ngāriwapaka, the Māori Party's bill, uh, private member's bill, was picked from the, the biscuit tin uh, a couple of Thursdays ago, I think. And and that's that's a bill for 
for a ban on seabed mining in New Zealand waters. So that'll have its first reading in due course. And, you know, the Labour Party needs to get in behind that and, and really uh, stop this industry from dragging communities through long, arduous, expensive processes. Final thoughts, Duncan? Yeah, Kroy, I think it'll be really important for New Zealand and other states such as Australia, Pacific countries in particular, to both support their Pacific neighbours and really throw their weight behind countries such as Costa Rica and Chile, who are doing far and beyond pulling their weight. Mm. Um, they need support. They need uh, heavyweight support from the likes of New Zealand, Australia um, and other countries, and they need to let Chile and Costa Rica know that they're not on their own. It's fantastic to have these two women diplomats, these two um, ambassadors, take the lead um, all all during the three weeks, you know, long three-week grinding period, um, but they can't do it on their own, and it's really important that um, New Zealand steps up to the base and, and, and really starts um, throwing their weight behind um, those countries that are trying to put a stop to this very damaging activity make sure it, it, it doesn't get the green light in July of 2023. That brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart, Apple Podcasts, and if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Thank you, Tomas, and look at you next time more.